0: Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Simon Sweetman, and this is episode 213, and you don't need me to tell you this, but we are in lockdown. So I recorded this podcast a few weeks ago. Uh, It's a conversation with Mike White. He's a journalist. He's someone I've wanted to talk to for a while. Um, He has a new book out called How to Walk a Dog. Um, he is a, a huge dog fan. His previous book couldn't be more different. Uh, it was about the murder of Scott Guy. Uh, Mike White is, an, is a feature writer, investigative reporter. Uh, he's been working for uh, over a decade and a half for North and South. Prior to that, he was a, a newspaper man and, and a foreign correspondent, uh, a freelance uh, journalist that worked in some war zones. So we talk about all of this stuff. Uh, and I've, I've corresponded with Mike a little bit over the years. We only met, at the start of this year Um, and then, uh, you know, as I said, I wanted to talk to him for the podcast and with the new book out, uh, which I really enjoyed his book, I'm a, a, you guys will have heard my dog in the podcast, Bowie, Um, and uh, so I'm a a relatively new dog owner, so I enjoyed reading a book about uh, the pleasure that dogs bring to people's lives and the, and the, the people that own dogs and how they form their little friendships and, and clubs around walking and, and exercising dogs. Uh, so anyway, we had a conversation about all of these things. Uh, and it's a big conversation about journalism, the integrity of journalism, uh, the hope that we have uh, as fans of journalism uh, and um, and his experiences as a practicing journalist. Uh, with, with, as Mike says more than once, one of the best gigs in the country, he writes long form pieces. He gets to spend a long time putting together a profile on uh, maybe a famous New Zealander, maybe a famous uh, unsolved crime case, he's certainly done a few of those. We talk about uh, his experiences covering um, Ben and Olivia, uh, Scott Guy and Mark Lundy, those are obviously the really big famous ones that from recent years that people know, and and Mike's uh, played a crucial part in covering all of those stories. Uh, but there's plenty more besides that. Now, uh, going forward with the podcast, I'm not sure what's going to happen. I only have a couple more conversations in the can, and obviously I like talking to people face-to-face, so if we stay in lockdown for a while, um, I may... Look at doing some Skype and phone recordings, but they're not my favorite thing for this I I got into doing this so that I could meet people and talk to them face to face Um, So I'm probably gonna stretch the the ones that I've got out over The next few weeks and and take a break and, and go back to sort of fortnightly posting rather than weekly posting and we'll see what happens from there but uh, in, the, in the meantime, I hope you enjoy this conversation. Uh, I certainly um, really enjoyed getting to know Mike a bit better and, and getting some of his story, and I really enjoyed this conversation. This is me talking with North and South journalist Mike White. So, everyone, every writer, or interviewer, or broadcaster you talk to has a different
1: way of preparing themselves and a different outcome. Totally. And I think sometimes, you know, I look at how I do interviews or, or how I write a story and think. Oh, oh, this is embarrassing, you know I I must be doing something really old school I still listen to You know, I take all my interviews mm. I then transcribe them Longhand mm. And my partner Nikki's a journalist And of course she does things totally different And I think most people Do things really differently to what I do But it works for me And I just think, there is no one way mm. To do interviews or to, to write stories It's just whatever works for you And it's the result that really matters, isn't it? Um,
0: totally. You know, I didn't record a single interview, I don't think, until I started doing this podcast. I just recorded recorded them in the moment, writing down. I didn't record, and, and I that worked out fine for me, but I do wish I'd recorded some of the ones. You know, i talked to some cool people that, I don't know if I was ever going to listen back to them or not, but I just would be nice to have.
1: Yeah, I've got everything. Have you kept them? Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I've been at North and you know, South now for uh, 17 years. You sort of have to, from a legal got, point of view, oh, yeah. but... Well, even beyond that, mm, I mean, mm. I've still got the old tapes and a box out in the garage, but I've got everything, you know, since using digital recorders, mm. everything's uh, backed up, stored away, just in case um, it's a small enough you know, little effort that you have to make to, to do that. But I just think, I don't trust myself... I don't trust my shorthand, Mm. that's for sure, but I don't trust myself to be always accurate. But I just like recording interviews because I can sit there and listen to the person and what they're saying and really concentrate on that rather than concentrating on my crappy shorthand and, and whether I've got all that down. So I kind of think it's good for accuracy, but also when I go back, listen to it, transcribe it, I'm getting that whole conversation again and yeah. it really gets in your head and yeah. you really start to understand what the person's saying and the context of it and yeah it just works for me. It's it's long winded I know and no, not no, everyone's I... got that the benefit of the time that I've got. But for me that's just what works.
0: Well it's going towards the end result. Like it's as you say, it's in yeah you know like I'm finding with the podcast, you know, I listen back to every single one obviously even if I don't make very much of an edit at all and the different experiences like talking to you now I'm listening I'm recording it everything you were saying I, I occasionally will look to make sure the numbers are still going around because yep. I have that that worry you know you got to check your battery le- you know level and yeah. all of that but I'm basically just having a conversation with you that I hope I would have even if I wasn't recording it but then when I listen to it back if it's later today or in a few weeks whatever it will sound different. Even if it's immediate, I will I will listen to it differently, and I will yeah. hear not just myself, but you know I'll hear you differently.
1: Yeah, uh, uh, that's a real benefit. You hear your your subject again, and mm. you
0: you you'll pick up things. And like, I'm not even transcribing yeah, it. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'm just listening. That's to That's right. And I
1: but, still. But you pick up things that you th- that you somehow missed first time round during mm-hmm. the conversation. But you also then you realise what a dick of an interviewer you are, and yeah, yeah. all the stupid questions you've asked, and all the times you button. after how many years of being a journalist, over 20 years, I still listen back to my interviews and think, oh God, why didn't you just shut up and let them carry on, but you had this thought in your mind that you thought had to be put out there and you mm-hmm. had to ask this question, so at least in that, way, in that respect, it's a constant reminder to just shut up and listen and let people talk.
0: I congratulate myself occasionally on Oh, I'm doing so much better at not interrupting the longer I've done this, and then I hear one and go, oh, <laughs> you know, I hear one back, what, exactly. Why didn't you just shut the fuck up? Why I didn't know. you? But I, do you think we we talk through some of our questions and over-explain them out of out of an enthusiasm in a way too? Like I'm digging this and I want to dig into it. It isn't just, I've got a great thought that that person's not going to have. You, you think you're helping.
1: No, I, I agree totally. It is. You, you are. You're getting right into it and you just think, oh, I need to explore this little bit, mm. you know, right now mm. for some reason, rather than just letting it flow and then coming back to it. I don't know. I, I sometimes, you know, just kick myself when I listen back to it. And, and think. And the other thing, is, of course, is you think, God, why didn't I ask that question at that yeah. time? It was just a gift. It was lobbed to you, and yeah, you just yeah. kind of, it just kind of just sailed back past you, and you missed it completely. <laughs> so yeah, I, I mean, I I really do think I'm. Oh God, I don't know. I should be should have learnt all this by now, but um, there's an awful lot that I think I'm still just a novice at when it comes to
0: Well, I've, I've been very excited to talk to you because we've only just met not, not when you walked through the door but only a few weeks ago it was the first time we met and I'd been meaning to ask you to, for a podcast for a while and then the timing of you writing a new book which is a few months old now, but um, you know. then I thought, well, that's exactly the moment I'll ask you. But I've, I've followed your work. I knew who you were, and I've read your previous book and read your columns for years. Um, I, so I've got lots of things to ask you, and I guess to start is how did you come to this line of work? How did you get into journalism?
1: Yeah, not immediately, that's for sure. Uh, I, I was going to be a lawyer when I left school. I was... Um, Headed down to Canterbury University, signed up for year one law, and, and realised that after about a couple of weeks that I was going to be so crap at it. Didn't like it. Didn't like the people in the class. Thought I'm not going to spend the you know four or five years studying this at varsity, let Little early alone
0: morning at, starts, eh? Uh, uh,
1: just stuff that With law. didn't interest me. <laughs> you know, just the naivety of teenagers thinking that they're going to go to Varsity and get funnelled out of a sausage factory, as you know, mm. in a career. Um, so tossed that aside pretty quickly, got a mighty C plus in, in law That's and true. then left it and, um, and just did a BA, which was fantastic, then went travelling and travelled for 10 years around New Zealand and overseas and got into photography. This is a long-winded way of answering your question, but I thought I was going to be a photographer to sell my photos I needed to, Write some, write some words around it, often travel stories, and then realised that probably there were plenty of better photographers around and I wasn't going to make it in that field. Um, and had always been interested in journalism and news, and so in my early 30s signed up for a journalism course here in Wellington at the Polytech and did that, and that was you know uh, nearly 25 years ago. Got a job from there, straight up at the Marlborough Press, a regional paper down in Blenheim. Went overseas again after a while, freelanced overseas, and then, yeah, 2003 got the job at North and South, and it's where I've been ever since, and that's probably a mark of how good a job it is and how lucky I am to Mm. have a job in journalism like uh, like I have at North and South, writing features, yeah.
0: Yes, and that must, um, I guess, probably for, what, the last decade, you probably... You know, thinking that more and more with with each oh. new year, you know, across the last decade, oh. as, as as we're constantly reminded and remind ourselves of journalism eroding both standards and opportunities, yeah. you you have maybe one of the last great jobs yeah. in that industry in this
1: country. Oh, absolutely! You know, I'm constantly aware of that don't need reminding of <laughs> the fact <laughs> of how lucky I am and uh, it is it's the best job in journalism in New Zealand as far as I'm concerned I've never wanted to go into management or, or <laughs> being an editor or anything like that I just want to write I love writing I mm. love talking to people I love finding out stuff and being exposed to new stuff all the time and I just think this is such a brilliant job in that I have the freedom to choose the stories that I do, I have the time to do them hopefully properly, mm. and end up with something that you're reasonably proud of at the end, usually. Uh, so I just, it's the kind of job, if you're going to give it up, you're really going to give give it some thought before mm. you do that. And my partner, who's also a feature writer at the Dominion Post, and Nikki, um, we look at each other and think, these are probably the best jobs we're ever going to have in our Mm. lives. Mm. So, yeah, it's tough times and you might want to occasionally think of doing something else, but, man, we're lucky to still have them.
0: Well, you say you're lucky, and you are, but also lucky lucky that they still exist and that they still exist for you, but you're good at it. And, you know, New Zealanders don't like saying that, but um, I'm allowed to say that of you because I've read your work, but you are good at it. When did you know, obviously you're only as good as your last story or whatever but when did you feel like you were getting good at journalism?
1: I don't know I I always um even when I was working on the newspaper I was just so into it you Mm. know this is writing news and so enthusiastic and probably at that stage I was producing a lot so it was a matter of uh Quantity over quality. I think it's something you gradually you learn, you never, and you're never going to stop learning, and you're never going to stop adapting your style to an extent. I don't know. I, I still don't think that I'm that brilliant. Uh, sometimes I look back at stories and think, oh, yeah, that was okay, and other times I look back and think, geez that was a shitter. <laughs> and, and so that's a good leveller. Yeah. Um, and you're so right, you're only as good as your last story and you try and make every story really the best that you can but uh, there's always going to be things that you'll look back and wish you'd done differently. That's just mm-hmm. the nature of the game, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just so lucky to have uh, A, a the magazine, North and South still existing, B, an editor in Virginia Larson who, mm-hmm. who gives me so much time and support. Um, so if what I turn out... Isn't good. I've got no excuses, and really, it should be good. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, and you've got but,
0: runs on the board in terms yeah. of you've been doing it as but well. It, like but that. it's
1: always subjective, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Some people will like what you write. Some people will think, you know, this guy's a dick. So yeah, um, yeah. You you just you just do the best job. Accurately describe
0: game. the two bits of feedback most writers get. <laughs> fall into those camps.
1: Yeah, and yeah. And Whether
0: it's a Comment on Facebook now or an old-fashioned letter that still occasionally turns up. That's kind of the gist of it. Love your work or what gives you the right.
1: Oh, yeah, Basically, what gives right? you the right? You, yeah. you know, you don't know anything about this. Yeah. And that's true because, <laughs> yeah. you know, being a journalist, you're going into subjects you don't really know anything about generally. Mm. Um and, and you've got to rapidly try and learn and understand the context of, of this issue and the people involved, etc. And then you pretend to be an authority and write a story about it. Mm. And it's fair enough that people might think, well, you're actually not an authority. You're just a, someone who's popped along, had a bit of a glance and then written a long story about it. And I, and I get that. I understand that. But that's why you spend as much time as possible trying to understand the issues. Mm,
0: and, and,
1: and that's the guts of being a feature writer, I suppose. Yeah, and I think, like,
0: for print journalism and, and, I guess, online journalism now, writing, it's tricky, isn't it? Because um, maybe that's where people think the writer is... thinks themselves is a bit more of an authority because they've got nothing, they've got... No, you know... What I'm trying to say is the success of John Ronson, Louis Theroux, and before them, people like Clive James was that they were showing the bumbling. Yeah. There was a bit of that. You know, I'm human. I'm an idiot that's checking into a Japanese hotel for the first time, as I remember Clive James when I was <laughs> a, a kid and I watched that again. Yeah. yeah when he was still alive, not because he died, but I watched it a a couple of years ago just in awe of those shows that he used to do because you were watching, there's a folly aspect and a human, and you don't always, you know, very good writers can put that across in their words when it's it's relevant and suits, but I'm thinking maybe people think, you know, oh, you think you're an expert because you've written this and you haven't written into it the hours that you spent Learning, you've come across like an, you know, that that's the baggage that people ascribe to you.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I'll never say that I'm an expert about anything, and I'd never, yeah, I don't like putting myself into stories mm. either, and I certainly don't. Until, your, like, until your most recent book. Yeah, which yeah, is well, a different book. Yeah, I've we'll yeah, just <laughs> contradict myself, you know, totally. What a hypocrite. Uh, but the book side, kind of, um, yes. in journalism, I. I really don't like writing opinion mm. pieces. I just...
0: No, I've noticed that about you. I know I, that about I, I you. I mean,
1: occasionally I get asked to write editorials, uh, and I'll and I'll do that, mm. but I'm really not comfortable because I honestly think, well, I'm not necessarily an expert, and who cares about my opinion? Mm-hmm. You know, hence why I, I avoid social media because who really wants to know what I think? And there's enough other people with opinions you know to keep the world going for a many years they don't need an extra one from me so and I don't like putting myself in an actual story the journalism story and there's a there's a real I think in recent years there's been a movement towards doing that and I'm not saying that it's wrong it's just I'm not comfortable doing that I just this, don't think you yeah. want to read about me
0: mm. and this goes back to you saying you're lucky in terms of North and South is that it is still a print magazine it isn't uh, you know I know it has a social media component to it because all companies do, but it isn't trying to drag people to its Facebook page first and foremost and yeah. live there. But some other media, that's, they're faced with no choice but that. So some other writers are faced with no choice but... Well, you may not be on Facebook personally, but the company now requires you yes. to sign up. So you, that's where you're kind of lucky, right? And I'm right? really grateful that my company <laughs> yeah. has not yeah. kind of done put that, that on us, yes.
1: Um Because i be crap at it, yeah. yeah you know, probably realize, you know, they probably <laughs> realise it's <laughs> just avoid this one with Mike. He's past that; he's too old for that crap. Well,
0: how do you sum up six months of work in a tweet? You know, like it's a bit, It's easy for me to go. I'm listening to the new, you know, Miles Davis compilation and then a day later, here's my review, that's valid, <laughs> you yeah, know, like, yeah. but for you to go, just doing some background prep on a story, watch this space, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> where months, do you start yeah. and end, yeah, yeah. A- it's just belittling you and your subject.
1: Yeah, I'm much happier just kind of hiding away um, <laughs> in my little office, um, where I live, down on the <laughs> coast in Wellington, and then kind of emerging every month or so with a story, um, yeah, but that's fine, you know, I I, I see the value of social media hugely, mm, mm. Uh, and it's it's just whatever suits, whatever works for you. Uh, but for me, I, I, yeah, I'm just rubbish at it anyway. So,
0: yeah. <laughs> so who were you? I mean, who are your kind of, who were or are your kind of journalism or writing heroes? Who were, when did you start gathering
1: those? I don't know. I think. Um, always admire you know gutsy investigative reporters i think more recently i've kind of realized that there's just some fantastic long form you know oh sorry this this dumb word long form you know Mm. has become anything that's not a tweet yeah (laughs) almost or a review yeah uh (laughs) Feature writers, you know, people that write long stories that yeah. take more than a couple of pages in a <laughs> yeah, magazine yeah, yeah. Or, or take more than five minutes to read. I just think there's some incredible um, long-form writing mm-hmm. uh, around internationally. Funnily enough, the best of it seems to come from America or the, the mm. stuff that I really like. It's really odd, and I don't really understand this, why America produces such brilliant feature writing, maybe they've got more kind of outlets for it, but the stories that I read uh, that I think, wow, that's just incredible. I wish I could have done that. I'd say 80%, 90% of them come from the States compared mm. to the US or Aussie or whatever. Um, but, yeah, uh, I mean... It's
0: a resources thing, though, surely.
1: It could be. You know, it's a an audience bit, which yeah. leads to resources. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just fantastic publications that still exist in the states you know from your new yorkers to yeah. your, um
0: atlanta and yeah, yeah yeah
1: yeah and just things like outside magazine yeah, brilliant feature writing and and state uh, publication like mm. texas monthly something i frequently reading incredible stuff from and so, yeah, lucky us to be able to, to have that.
0: I, I should have committed the writer's name to memory by now, but that award-winning piece about 10 years ago about the really long piece about the number of um, babies that have died in hot cars, parents forgetting. It's, I I'll find it and yeah. it, send it to you. It's one of those stories It's. Yeah, I know lots of people are just like, "Nah, I'm out. I can't read that." Hmm. But it's just incredible, and it's you know, 15 pages, and yeah. it's just the most um, beautiful. you know, yeah. it's just it's 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 just an amazing piece of writing, That's and you cool. just think, what did this person give of themselves to do this? But also, they're not is you couldn't for a second go well, they're collecting a paycheck, they're cashing in on someone else's misery. They are, you know, there's no trivialization or marketing aspect to it. It's just an incredible, thoughtful piece of work.
1: But but isn't that, you know, um, that's a a measure of a brilliant piece of work that it can be A, revealing something that you don't know anything about, it can be that investigative Mm. side of it, but then to be able to write it empathetically and to write it beautifully, those are all the kind of the different aspects of being a, a, a long form writer that you try and get into one story, but often you know you 're good at one bit of it but not the other mm. I mean increasingly, I really value beautiful writing. I absolutely am in awe of investigative writers, but beautiful writing that sensitively conveys an issue or a, a person or a topic. I just, that's the kind of writing that, you know, I'd love to be able to one day write, you know, pieces that are always like that. Mm. It's its a, you know, it's not just, people say, oh, you know, you're a feature writer. Oh, you must be good at writing. Well, But what does that mean? There's so many different aspects to that. And I know that sounds a bit of a wank, but but it's true. Mm. A- and I just think there are some incredible writers around. And in New Zealand, too. You know, it's not like Steve Brawnius. Mm-hmm. He is world class mm-hmm. and writes in a way that no one else can and does. And some of Steve's stuff just brings you to tears and you think, wow, you know, he has just got, you know, they, again, stupid, they call it, you know, your voice. But you won't read stuff like Steve's yeah. anywhere else in New Zealand. Um, and I think I'd like you to have him. Yeah. And um, it's up there with the best in the world for sure.
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree. And, I mean, even the even, even when he's fucking around, which lots of writers end up doing, and he certainly does, yeah. there's good stuff in, in some of that. But the really good stuff oh, is, is absolutely amazing. And, and it yeah.
1: stays with you yeah. for years. And yeah. that's really the mark of a great story. Yeah. Like you're saying, the the, the in no, Cars story. Yeah. You know, you'll never forget that. No. A whole heap of stories that you will have read in the last mm. 15 years.
0: Meaningless. You almost. could look yeah, at yeah. and
1: think, Have I read that? I yeah.
0: Don't I don't remember. That. Oh, I can still remember some of Steve's back pages from The Listener from yeah. 25 years ago. Yeah, stuff that you know, the, up the, the overall tone well. and feel of them, yeah, certainly. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: They stick yep. with you. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So we're lucky to have people like Steve. But you.
0: And, you know, I think too, like with his kind of crime book,
1: oh, yes. amazing,
0: Fantastic but also there's a couple of pieces in there where I'm almost angry at him for having the opinion he has, but I think that's great. Mm. You know, you want to be challenged. So when he comes out sort of broadly in support of someone that you think, really, that's not my... You know, I think he kind of humanises Rickard in a way that um, I hadn't seen anyone else do and probably wasn't looking to have happen, you know, in, on my watch. Yeah, but, 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 but I, that's
1: really valuable, that, isn't totally, it? Totally, yeah, know? yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't make me go rushing to Twitter to declare outrage that he's got it wrong because it's his experience and there's some major thought behind it. You just might not agree with it, but that's great to have that, that set of
1: yeah. ideals and, 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 and I don't know whether some of what Steve writes is de- just to yes. be deliberately provocative yeah. and deliberately from the outset take an alternative point of view, but I don't really care too much as long as it's kind of backed up by some reasoning and, yeah, yeah. and, and, and yeah. beautiful writing. And some
0: art, yeah, yeah. some art to the writing which there is. Yes. Yeah.
1: So, yeah. you know, I think we, yeah, increasingly <laughs> there's a risk of kind of everyone just um, sheepishly following the the, uh, the accepted wisdom on subjects and um, not really looking from a different angle or aspect. And uh, yeah, as long as there's some kind of decent argument behind it, then I think we've at least got to be open to thinking about things and people from, mm. from a different perspective. Yeah.
0: Mm-mm. Okay, so you, let's go back to you being a newspaper person. So you were working on the newspaper doing general stories a reporter covering all sorts
1: of things yeah i was uh arrived and was given two rounds as they call them areas that you specialize in and one was health and that was cool because there's a that's easy there's a hospital there's sick people and there's doctors etc and the other one was uh to cover the marlborough electric power board and that was you know you're thinking you've got to be kidding but I'm a new reporter, okay, fine. But that was fantastic, actually, because there's a whole lot of shit going down at the time with our Mm. power board, and it just gets you into the whole new area of of energy and generation and all those kind of things that you're never going to be exposed to necessarily otherwise. And it was just brilliant. So enjoyed that, then had a few years um, doing those rounds, and then sort of became the chief reporter, which doesn't take much at a little... paper like yeah, the Marlboro yeah, Express sure. um, and did that for three years and didn't really like it because I wasn't writing and you're kind of just the bit in the middle of the sandwich between management and the other reporters and yeah, it's, yeah it wasn't for me so I quit and you know, just went overseas. <laughs> um, uh,
0: but I guess you're there when one of the significant stories oh, of yeah. your career happens. Yep. So you're in the in the right place at at perhaps the right time as a writer, and and the very wrong time for a lot of just about anyone involved in that story.
1: Yeah, that's the story of Ben and Olivia, yeah, Ben Smart and Olivia Hope going missing in the Marlborough Sounds. Um, so, so you been, turn up for work I, Yeah. well I'm driving to work yeah. at that day um, just after New Year and I hear Gerald Hope the father of Olivia Hope one of the um, people who've disappeared I hear him talking about this and on Radio New Zealand and being insistent that this is not some kind of mistake that they've got lost, that this is a youthful elopement, some New Year's kind of romance that's gone wrong And Gerald knew right from the start that this was abnormal behaviour for Olivia and that something was terribly wrong. Mm -hmm. And that's why immediately... because Gerald was... uh, He he was happy to talk to any media to try and get information about Mm -hmm. what had happened to his daughter and Ben. And he's very eloquent. And so that... Got a whole lot of attention immediately in what they call the silly season, mm-hmm. around Christmas when there's no other news. And I had been a journalist for just over a year, and the entire resource of our newspaper was devoted to that story. I think it was the lead story on the front page for uh, 15 days, it was on the front page for over a month, etc. Mm-hmm. And it just went on because it was uh, even, well, Scott Watson who was ultimately arrested for the murders of Ben and Olivia um, wasn't arrested t- for quite a few months mm. afterwards um, yeah it was one of those stories that you just happened to be in the middle of and the rest of the country's media descended on Marlborough it was the story and it continued to be so for months as the same
0: Hmm. Mm. so that takes over your world as well your it did for your, your yeah. yeah yeah that's what i mean at that point it takes yeah. over your life your it is yep. it is your your job and your pursuit and I guess is it um I don't know how do you describe it is it a sort of bittersweet situation where you're compelled by the fact-finding truth establishing mission that a journalist has in the in the you know ideal of it but it's a deeply sad story there's no victor
1: oh it's a human story yeah you know it's nothing but a human story it's two young people who have disappeared and we don't really know what happened to them, it's their families it's the family of um, the man accused and convicted, Scott Watson it's Scott Watson because there's doubts about whether he's guilty or not and it's a whole community it extends, because it's a reasonably small community, Marlborough, and and most people would have known um, the smarts or the hopes and mm-hmm. had some one connection. degree of separation. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It just one in, in a town like that. Yeah. And so uh, it, it was never anything. Well, it was always fundamentally an, an entirely human story. And you, it was. You just were dealing with the victims. So it was one where you couldn't look at it dispassionately. Mm-hmm. Yep. Everyone was invested in trying to find out what had happened. Everyone wanted to find something that might help get to the bottom of it and to find Ben and Olivia. Um, But you're dealing with the families all the time, as I say, and that was one of my roles, was to try and deal with the families. Um, You're going out hunting around the Marlborough sounds with them. Uh, It's, yeah, it's a not a hard line, I suppose, to walk between being a journalist and just being a dispassionate um, person. But um, I think you had to wear both hats to an mm. extent. But mm. fundamentally, you were you were just constantly surrounded by the grief of what had happened.
0: Mm. And I'm thinking we are sort of over 20 years from there. So back then, and you know, like like most people of of my age and older. We, you know, New Zealand remembers this story. we were not catching up with it. We we lived through it, and whatever we think about it, we, we followed it for, even if it was just for a fraction of those days that it was on the front page, and then and then checking back in with it. We we all have some thought on it, but there was no real industry around mental health for the people involved in it. And I'm thinking, particularly for yourself, say. You know, was there anyone that you worked for that checked in on you and wanted to know? (laughs) No, that's what
1: I'm thinking. And I I think, you know, well, it was uh, a much less uh, difficult situation for reporters working on that than, say, Mm -hmm. reporters that were working on the mosque shootings last year or or something like that, Mm -hmm. where it's just, yeah, it's all consuming Mm -hmm. and it's really tough to. Be thrust into the middle of that, and to be dealing with the events, it's never as difficult, obviously, as the victims and people. But I think you know journalists aren't immune to the effects of of being surrounded by horrible things like that and the grief that goes with them.
0: No, but I guess also, yeah, I guess um, we, by virtue of the timing, we used to allow journalists to have their say before we questioned it. Now, now with the with the weapons that we have in terms of social media, a lot of us um, have decided we'd probably know better before even taking on a studied viewpoint, right? And the baggage that comes with that, I'm not going to trust that person because I didn't like what they wrote last time. So they might, you know, like... Which is ridiculous, really, but that's where we're at. Yeah,
1: there's a bit of that, you yeah. know. And I mean, just... You know, going back to the Ben and Olivia Mm. story, I mean, it is a story that I've ended up being involved with though, for the 20 Mm. years and still involved with it, largely because I sort of changed my perspective on it. And when it first happened, we were so supportive of the cops and we believed in them, we trusted Mm. them. I mean, what other option have you got really, Simon? You know, you, you sort of do have to trust that these people know what they're doing, that they've looked at everything and that they've got the right person for it. And so I was really convinced that Scott Watson was guilty at the time. Over the years, I've learnt more about the case or, or and more aspects of the case have kind of been questioned and, and more evidence has come up. And, and I have changed my view that maybe it's not as clear-cut as everyone assumed at the start. And mm. I suppose that's been part of the reason that I've been involved with it. But I hope I've never lost the the, the knowledge and the, and the realization that there's you know a whole lot of families. Every time you write something, mm. there's families out there that are possibly going to be exposed Impacted. to it. you're writing about. You know. Well,
0: you say you say I continue to be involved in it, but I mean you you've interviewed Scott Watson more than once. You've basically brokered a meeting mm. between. Gerald and him. Mm.
1: Yeah, I mean that was something that both of them had wanted from day one. It might sound odd, but you know, on the night that Scott Watson was arrested, uh, or sorry, on the night that he was first, his boat was taken out of the water and that he was he was interviewed. Mm. You know, Gerald Hope wanted to wanted to know who this guy was. Scott Watson that night told us, "Look, look I'll meet with Gerald Hope. I'll talk to him." It took <laughs> nearly well. Yeah, almost 20 years for it to happen for Mm. various reasons. Mm. Um, And I'm just full of awe uh, at Gerald for being open enough to want to sit down and eyeball... or no, that's a stupid way of putting it. uh, Sit down and talk talk with the guy who has been convicted for murdering his daughter. And also Scott Watson, because Gerald said a lot of things about Scott Watson Mm -hmm. in the past, Scott was open enough to think, well, at least, you know, I may not trust... And Gerald entirely is what he's going to say after our meeting, but I'm going to sit down and be able to put my side. It was an extraordinary meeting. It went over two days. Mm. It was pretty, yeah, extraordinary. The fact that I ended up sort of being in the middle of it was just because I, I knew both parties, and that was the kind of deal that especially Scott Watson wanted, mm-hmm. uh, that he wanted someone who, who could uh, record the interview. So if there were any disagreements about what was said during the meeting later on, um, that there'd be some kind of objective record of it. Um, yeah, I don't know how much it helped. Mm. I think for Gerald, it was really important that he turned over every stone that he could to try and get justice for Olivia. Um, he did that. I don't think the meeting changed his mind entirely. Uh, but at least he, he he felt he did that. And for Scott Watson, well, you know, he had a chance to front Gerald and say, "I did not murder your daughter. I didn't meet murder Ben. I didn't meet them. I don't know what happened to them. I'm really sorry for your loss, but I'm the wrong guy." And um, something he's consistently said, obviously, since he was um, first fingered for for the murders. Yeah.
0: Mm, mm. How? I mean, you're not a a young new journalist when this happens you've got all your experience that you take to it but how do you remember how you kind of mentally prepared for for that particular two-day meeting um
1: i don't think i had lofty thoughts like that about mm. mentally preparing i just you do your homework you you know you go back you do as much research as you can in the past you prepare some questions but in a way this was a really the meeting with, with Scott Watson when I was just interviewing him, the first meeting, that's entirely different. That's just me and him, and that's me going through the case, asking him about everything and trying to get answers to all the questions that other people have asked. The meeting with Gerald and Scott, the role was completely different. I was sort of, I wouldn't say a mediator, but you're on the sidelines to try and keep everyone calm if need be, Uh, to steer the conversation into areas that both sides want discussed and talked about but really it's a discussion between them and you're just trying to facilitate that Mm -hmm. and so it wasn't your normal journalistic interview at all but then you're recording it, you're listening to it it, and you're you're trying to work out afterwards you know (laughs) what What, no. what was that all about but you know should do I do I you know believe that should I emphasize this or was this just um you know uh, did someone say something that they um perhaps didn't word perfectly I don't know it, it was a it was a difficult and different exercise I hope the story that we wrote um was a good reflection of the meetings. You can mm. never include everything mm. in a couple of days' meetings, but uh, yeah, it, w- it was a f- it was a very different journalistic exercise. But I think uh, ultimately, I still think it was worthwhile to do, despite you know the opposition of various people to to the meeting going ahead.
0: Mm. Mm. Wow! So you leave New Zealand to. Let's go back. You leave New Zealand after this, not because of it. Oh no! The,
1: I mean, I, this the initial in, yeah, yeah, yeah. and Olivia went missing uh, late '97. You know, it was yep. New Zealand '97, New yep. Day '98. Yeah, um, carried on. That story ran for a while, but yes. Scott Watson's convicted and everything. Yes, goes so the away. story it disappears. Quite, for, it does disappear yeah, actually. Yeah, um, for about ten years. Yes. Oh, there's other people working on it, and you know, people like Keith Hunter doing amazing work on it and raising questions, mm, but it, pretty mm, much from my, a story. from my writing it's gone away. Yeah. Um, I just had enough after. Yeah, yeah, I worked yeah. on the paper in Marlborough for six years, um, uh, stuck did, out in election. I was also doing the political reporting, um, did an election and handed him a notice the next day uh, and sort of, yeah, probably not. Very gallantly, just gave three weeks' notice. Booked a, <laughs> booked a ticket to uh, Pakistan where I'd spent some time before and just went freelance. So I wanted to go, I wanted to be in Afghanistan for the first anniversary of 9 11, and so that was 2002. I just went over there and bluffed my way into Afghanistan um, and yeah, was there for that anniversary and spent six months working in. Pakistan, Afghanistan, made a couple of trips in there, and then I got a job, a gig with the United Nations. They had a a, a humanitarian website, wrote humanitarian stories. Um, And the Iraq war was, the 2003 Iraq invasion was about to happen, and all the UN people were getting pulled out of Iraq, and they wanted some expendable freelancer that they could just <laughs> send him there to write stories about what was happening during the war, and if a bomb fell on him, they could say, oh, gee, not one of ours, <laughs> don't know about, no, I don't know anything about him. So, yeah, um, and I was really keen to do that. So, yeah, spent uh, um, a couple of months in in Iraq, and the middle east at that time and then went back again in 2003 for another trip to iraq later on so that was an amazing experience um getting exposed to all those countries the people the issues um, and but at, the, at that time i'd also been offered this job at north and south so it was this ghastly decision of what do i do i'm really Thinking, the journalism that I was doing kind of in, in Afghanistan and Iraq was just, you know, not just worthwhile, but, yeah, it was a bit exciting and it was, a, it was the kind of journalism that not everyone necessarily gets the chance to do. Mm. But the job back here that I'd been offered with North and South was the kind of writing that long term I'd always wanted to do. It was about the only job in New Zealand that I would have come back for. And so, yeah, various reasons I decided to come back uh, and do that. And don't regret it, but I also miss perhaps some of the opportunities that I Mm. might have had if I'd carried on doing um, stuff uh, overseas. A
0: terrible um, film to reference, uh, but a sliding doors kind of moment for you or something. like. I I I feel strange bringing that film up because I fucking hated it. But, but, you know, like I... Equal, almost equal opportunities in different ways yes, were well, presented. A,
1: a, and I'm not going to bitch and complain, Simon. <laughs> nah, I had two amazing opportunities. Mm. Most people don't even get one, or yeah. frequently don't get any. So um, you make a decision, and that's cool. And mm. I've been lucky to have this amazing job that I've had for so long now. Uh, and will I go back overseas and write again? Yeah, at some stage, I hope mm. so. Mm. Yeah. So you. Pick up the Ben and Olivia story again
0: eventually yeah. as part of North and South. Yeah. You also will, and hopefully we'll talk about this a bit more in a minute. Um, there are other really big crime stories that you get known for. Scott yeah. Guy, you write a book about.
1: Yeah, so it, it sort of starts with going back to look at the Ben and Olivia story that was in yeah. 2007. I think it was. Yeah, it was coming up ten years mm-hmm. and. I'd been increasingly uncomfortable about both what had happened during the investigation of Scott Watson and also his conviction, but also uncomfortable about my role in that as a journalist. I was able to see, I guess, you know, benefit of a bit of distance, that the media had been cheerleaders for the police. And again, I'll go back to what I said earlier we wanted to believe and we did believe that the cops had got it right mm. and because, because i mean, yeah what's the alternative Naively, to that point, right? if you don't if you assume right from the start that the cops can't have got it right yeah. then it's just anarchy isn't it uh, so you go along with them and the cops were really good to us that when we were reporting at the express they gave us all sorts of mm. tip offs leads and information so much wasn't always right but we felt like we were part of the team mm-hmm. and I guess to an extent we lost the journalistic distance that you should always preserve it's an impossible game really because you want to be first you want to have the tip-offs you want to know what's going on behind the scenes but if that compromises your objectivity well perhaps you've got to just accept that you, you, you can't always mm-hmm. be in the tent And so um, I was a bit uncomfortable with my naivety in being part of team police during that investigation, especially when I learnt more about the case and about uh, stuff that seemed to point away from Scott Watson as being uh, culpable. Hmm. So I wrote a story for North and South in 2007 about that, Um, looking back at the case. That led to then uh, someone getting out to contact with me about Mark Lundy's story and I remember really clearly at the time my partner Nikki saying to me, you should be careful about this because you're going to get typecast mm. as just someone who... The guy who... <laughs> yeah, the go-to guy for I didn't do it. Yes. And I thought about that and thought, well, that's possibly true but by the same token, this is a really important story. It's a good, you know, I thought it was a good story. The more I learned about the Lundy case, mm. and so I got involved with that one, and still am to this day. And today, there's a, you know, the new North and South has a, a long story about Mal Lundy's case in it. Um, and then, yeah, you mentioned the Scott Guy case. That came about through um, a lawyer, um, Greg King, who mm-hmm. about the. Fourth or fifth story that I ever wrote for North and South was this story about this young lawyer guy who who um, had had, firebrand. Yeah, (laughs) but but a beautiful Mm, firebrand, you know. Someone who was not just a shit-kicking lawyer who took on the unpopular cases, but someone who was eloquent, persuasive, you know, yeah,
0: like virtuoso. Yeah, your
1: (laughs) archetypal kind of defence lawyer that you know, from Atticus Finch that, that mm-hmm. we that we like to think exists and applaud every now and again. So, um, and he was really young and he was, uh, you know, a protégé of, of um, Judith Abbott Kerr at, at, down in Dunedin. And so I did this interview with Greg King out at... He had this little office out in the hut, in La hut, between a sweet shop and a poster shop. and um, And then he just... That was yeah, 2003 or 4 and then Greek King just went on to do more mm. and more of these cases and when he got involved with the Scott Guy case um, Scott Guy was a, a farmer who was murdered at his front gate uh, near Fielding um, and Ewan Macdonald, his brother-in-law was arrested and, um, and charged with his murder and Greek King was asked to be the Lawyer um, for Ewan McDonald. And I just thought, wow, again, the cops must have got it right. Mm. They haven't charged this guy without any evidence. He must have done it. So I thought, I really want to follow a case where an unwinnable case, follow the defence and how you try and mount a defence for someone who's obviously guilty, who's gunned down his brother in law. Um, and so I said to Greg, can I, you know, just be a fly on the wall uh, as you do this? And I got a message to Ewan McDonald's parents um, and didn't hear anything back from him uh, for months. And out of the blue, got a message from them saying, yep, we'll sit down and talk with you. And it was interesting. I asked Kerry McDonald, that's Ewan McDonald's father, mm. um, why, did you, why did you come to me and say that you would speak with me? And he said, Because you didn't keep pestering us, because you didn't keep coming back to me, and I think they'd also spoken to Greek King, and and Greek had kind of vouched for me. Mm. But yeah, that led to covering Ewan McDonald's trial. uh, A long, couple of long stories for North and South about that case. Uh, Ewan McDonald was ultimately acquitted of the Mm. murder. Um, Again, very, for a lot of people, that was a controversial and wrong call. You know, Mm. essentially, most people thought he must have done it. Um, But. Yeah, and ended up writing a book about it. So at what point does that story, like...
0: is very obvious in you retelling it. Yeah, there's a book there. And we know there's a book there because you did it. But at what point was there a book? Like, and whose decision? Did someone come to you, you should turn this into a book? Or were you going, gosh, I've got a book here. Or uh, not even, gosh, I've got a book. But fuck, the only way to get through all of this is to put it in a book.
1: I guess when you spent so long covering a case, you know, and that, the, before the trial there'd been about a year of, of just keeping tabs with it, um, interviewing Greg King and, and talking with and McDonald's parents, um, getting a perspective that the public hadn't heard before um, and then sitting through the trial, which was five weeks of the trial at Wellington High Court, and then for him, sensationally almost, uh, to be found not guilty, yeah. uh, which most people, I think, who were outside the court were gobsmacked by. Those that sat through the trial could understand better, whether they agreed with the jury's yes, decision or yeah, not, they, they could, could understand, understand why, and they could have, could see the incredible job that Greg King did in deconstructing the police and Crown case, um, you know, and the other lawyers as well, Peter Coles and, and Liam Collins, the whole defence team, just did it in a an incredible job in what had seemed an unwinnable case um, and you know when I say winning and losing and that mm-hmm. it, it, that's unfortunately the nature of our justice system yes. it's adversarial win or you lose but what they actually did was just shining a light on every aspect that, that Ewan MacDonald supposedly that showed Ewan MacDonald was guilty and showing that there was a could have been a different side B it was a total crock um and, yeah, did that eloquently, persuasively. Greek King's closing address at that trial was something that anyone who's there, it'll live with him for a long time. Um, the book idea kind of followed on from that. Um, we, my, The magazine was approached by a publisher um, about doing a book. It had one or two hiccups, but eventually, yeah, uh, I guess I felt that a, there was a huge amount of information that the public had never heard and and also there was a, a perspective on this that people might not have seen because, as I say, even with the verdict, most people thought Ewan McDonald must be guilty mm. because he'd done this other horrible shit that yeah, you know, yeah, everyone yeah. knows about, they're smashing it up. Scott and Kylie's house, the, um, the the burning down of the old the house, the calves, yeah, the, the yeah. calves. Yeah. You know when that came out after the trial, yeah. Oh, yeah, that right. convinced yeah, yeah. everyone that's that he right. was guilty. And and I guess I, I just thought, well, rather than gut reactions, we should have something a bit more in context and hopefully more considered about the whole case and the evidence because that's sort of boils down to it's not whether you like and McDonald, it's not whether you like Scott Watson mm-hmm. it's about the evidence and you know I don't think I'll ever be great friends with a lot of the people that I've written about mm-hmm. but I'm, I, that's not the job that's no, not why I, you've I don't done it I care about it's, that yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not emotionally invested in yes. them as people I'm invested in the case and about whether they've got the right person for the crime and about whether, you know, um, and, and what the evidence shows. And again, that sounds a bit, you know, high and mighty, but that's pretty much fundamentally what it is. And I've kind of... But there is a, respect. There
0: is a blurred line there in that, you know, when I... I mean, we had corresponded already, but when I met you earlier this year, I was doing some producing work for RNZ and I got you in to talk about... Um, the Ben and Olivia case um, for, for one of the shows <coughs> and you said to me oh the first thing I did today was speak to Gerald Hope and just let him know that I'm going on air to talk about this mm. and I just did that as a courtesy and which is a, 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 a wise and great thing to do I think and it speaks to the journalistic acumen that you have and carry but you can't be completely detached from people when, you, you know, you have built a relationship with him, which yep. you know, that's why you've done that. That's why you contacted him. That's why you're still in touch with him. So it's an interesting line. You have to walk between the I'm here for facts. I'm here for, you know, to follow the process. But you can't remain completely detached from these people when when your lives become entwined.
1: No, you're absolutely right, and that's just the nature of the game. Mm -hmm. And any journalist you talk to Mm -hmm. will say the same thing. You know, you've got to deal with people as humans, Yeah, be empathetic to their situation. You've also got to do your job. And sometimes that line is blurred. Um, All I'll say about the Scott Watson case is, yep, I've dealt with Gerald and Jan Hope, a lot, over twenty plus years. Um, also, Mary Smart, uh, um, Ben's mum. Uh, but I've also dealt with Scott Watson's parents, um, Chris and Bev, who's now died. But uh, so, so I'm I'm kind of dealing with both sides of mm. of the story and the the and I think that's in that. In this story, the Scott Watson story, that's been really useful. In other um, people that I've written about, one party hasn't wanted to kind of engage or Mm. I haven't done a very good job at engaging with them. uh, And I guess that's a a fair criticism for some of the stuff that I I might not have um, been as good at, at, at dealing with all sides of the story. Uh, or well, all what, parties. Yes. What
0: happens for you when the wall goes up? You know, like, you, you you, can have the best intentions about being as honest and fair as a journalist can be, or, you know, which can be called into question by anyone at any point, obviously, but you can go in well-armed with your, your personal history of who you are and everything you've done, your work acumen and your research, but a person can immediately just put a wall up and decide, how do you... Best approach going around or underneath that, or over the top of that wall. Yeah, mate. You
1: know? I don't think I do it very well. I, I think that's a, a big failing, and I look back and regret some of the the you know the stories that I've written that I haven't done a good enough job in that in dealing with some of the victims' families. Um, do you think you should have pushed harder? You mean? Or well, that's you... re- it's really tricky, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it? Because, you're. You know, I remember. Um, with the Mark Lundy case ringing up um, it, it's, Mark Lundy's uh, situation is quite awkward in that uh, Mark Lundy has uh, a, a brother and a sister his sister has always supported him uh, and has always believed he's innocent, his brother believes he's guilty mm. uh, and it's very awkward then to deal with that family dynamic Yes, uh, but when I contacted um, Lundy's brother, you know, his reaction was that he didn't really want to deal with me, uh, and and you so you accept that, but you also are very aware that perhaps you know you are or could be accused of taking sides mm. in the story, mm. and I don't know if there's a perfect way to do it. I don't. Know. There's probably a, a much better way of doing it, um, but I. Yeah, I, I, I've got a few regrets about not doing that that part of the job better, about not somehow conveying the the other side of the story as well. Yeah, it, it has been closed off to me um, in some occasions, but in other occasions maybe I haven't pushed hard enough or, or haven't explained myself well enough to mm. them. So, yeah... I, I'm really aware of that, yeah.
0: I want to park that for a minute and ask you about Janet Malcolm, the journalist and the murderer. I feel like it's a good time to bring that up.
1: It's a great book, isn't it? <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, isn't yeah. It? and it's got one of the great openings, opening lines um, that every journalist should take to heart, certainly every journalist mm. that writes about crime. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um,
0: when did think, that book come into your life? And um, I was going to say, what does it mean to you? But I get that you're already, you've absorbed it. And...
1: Yeah. Just, just for a little bit of background that people yeah. that don't know this book. It's not, it's not a, a very long book, but it's this, it's a story of... Okay, so there was a, a, a journalist who, who, who attached themselves... Uh, you may say in a similar way that I did during the Ewan McDonald case, to the defence of of a guy who was was charged with murder in the United States and that the accused person thought that they were going to write a sympathetic piece after the trial and say, this man's been hard done by whatever. The journalist um, sat through the trial and thought, shit, this guy's guilty (laughs) and wrote that story. And Janet Malcolm kind of looked at that case and uh, kind of put it in the per- perspective for journalists that, yep, um, we. She basically she, she uses it motives. as a larger
0: uh, metaphor. Yeah, for, uh, the cra- for the craft, for, for the craft, for the dark yeah. art of the
1: craft. And, and, and you know, like it or not, I think she's right. I think we we are. We can make all the right noises about being empathetic, just as I have to you, and, and, and I do stress that I mm-hmm. try my hardest. Mm-hmm. But there's a strain of what we do that's mm-hmm. getting the story, and it's, it's getting people to uh, relax with us, to be open with us, to be uh, upfront and tell us stuff that maybe they haven't told other people. I mean, that's what journalists do. That's part of the game. But there's that eternal conflict between being mm. human mm. and, and treating people as you'd like to be treated. Um, and I would just suggest that any journalist read the opening paragraph of The Journalist and the Murderer and just keep remembering that every time they get into the situation or do interviews. Yeah,
0: read it you know. and look at themselves
1: in the mirror just yeah. after they've yeah. read it, basically. And, and, and to be honest, I, I read that. And I do feel a bit uncomfortable sometimes. I, I'm no better than any other journalist in that respect. That there's a there's competing things going on there.
0: I've described it to people before, as have asked about it, um, as being like the textbook that. No journalism lecturer will recommend you read, but when you tell them you have, they all will have read it.
1: Yeah, or or should yeah. read it. You yeah, know? yeah, and, and it's, it's not
0: know. on the reading list, but it sort of is. Yeah, you know? well,
1: I've got a, a a friend who's a, a tremendous young journalist um, who I met when he was at journalism school, and thought this guy's got something else. You know, a guy um, who ended up working at the Dom po- Dominion Post uh, and. I gave him that book because I thought, mm. you know, at an early stage, you should read this mm. and you should reflect on it. Look, it's a it's a difficult game, Simon. I don't know. I certainly don't get it right all the time. I hope I get it right some of the time. I hope I do a reasonable job and I hope I do an honest job, but I'm not always going to get it right. Well, I, you know, the reason I bought that
0: that that art, that book up and and I think Janet Malcolm's pretty fantastic. I've mm. uh, enjoyed other books of hers as well, but that book obviously had a huge impact on me, but I thought about that book when I read your book about Scott Guy. Mm. I thought I knew you know, I didn't know you, but I read your work and I just knew you'd absorbed that book, you know, it came across.
1: Yeah, and look, people can uh, fairly uh, make a criticism that I was attached to the defense in that trial and therefore I've got a slanted view of the whole story and yep I'll, I'll absolutely accept that um, do I need to defend it kind of part of the aim of writing that story the way that I did was this is going to be a view of a Really high-profile mm. and controversial case that probably no one else is going to give you. It's um, I think we hear an awful lot of kind of the the, the the police view, whatever. There's not always the view of the alternative arguments in these trials, and I think that's fair to be able to at least examine them. And I would defy most people who sat through the trial of Ewan Macdonald to honestly say, they could say beyond reasonable doubt that he was guilty of shooting his brother-in-law early one morning at his front gate. Now, I really believe that was a valid story to tell. Um, and you can criticise my uh, the means that I took to, to kind of a, tell that story, which was, Dealing with the defence and dealing with you and McDonald's family. Um, but I still think it was valid and I s- certainly don't resile from the, the, what I wrote in the book and in the stories that I've done for North and South. Mm, mm. Mm. But by the same token, you know, did I want to get a story that was different to everyone else? Did I want to... I want to get that story with, you know, from the Ewan Macdonald perspe- perspective more. Yeah, yeah, I did, because I thought it was valuable, but also because I knew no one else was going to get it. So there's always, no matter how uh, how honourable you think mm-hmm. you're being, there's also there's always a little bit of cynicism uh, woven into what you do.
0: Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um. So in and around these three high-profile crime, essentially crime stories, um, where the public becomes very invested. But I guess by virtue of the fact New Zealand's a small place and there are degrees of separation anyway. But also, we as punters, reading the news, watching the news, suddenly become armchair experts because that's a little bit how. TV news is is built to work. It wants people to think. Well, suddenly, you know, I mean, how many experts on infectious disease have we got all of a sudden right now? You know, like (laughs) way more than we thought was possible. We we shouldn't be in. We shouldn't be in this situation. (laughs) So, but uh, you worked on those, but in and around those, you you know, uh, you aren't just. A crime writer. You might never describe yourself as actually a crime writer, even though even though you are. You are I mean, you published author of a book about it. Um, you did some profiles and some, I guess, um, feet, larger features that are just um, a- about happier stories, basically. Yeah. Yeah. What were some
1: of your favourites there? Light and shade. Yeah. You know, this is this is you need to do this. I I know, Nikki my partner often probably worries about my mental health mm. after spending months um, dealing with murder um, so yeah it honestly is a, It's a conscious decision to uh, mix those stories with um, mm. things that are happy and have nice endings I remember after sitting in Mark Lundy's retrial for two months, two long months where we missed the best of summer, we merged into autumn uh, and you, you, your mind is, you know, you've mm. been dreaming about murder. It's not cool. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, as an antidote to that, I said to my editor, the New Zealand sheepdog trials are on in Thai Happy and I want to go and cover them because being a dog lover, I'd always wanted to do a story about these um, amazing uh, sheepdog Kind of uh, competitors and eventers mm. um, and so yeah, I went from Wellington's High Court to frozen back blocks of Thai Happy to, for a week standing out there with people in red bands uh, with swan dryers whistling to their dogs and it was just incredible, it was fantastic and the story they wrote there was just such a joy and I really liked it um, I often find that some of the I'm lucky enough to be able to still travel around New Zealand and talk to incredibly mm. interesting people, um, but I often find just the stories from back blocks. Mm. Oh, no, that's a really bad way of putting it. <laughs> Shit. Um, no, stories from... Out of the city. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well away from yeah. uh, my normal Well, one. what you're describing
0: is the work equivalent, because it's still work, but the work equivalent of the person that now basically goes off got to get off the fucking internet, and I go to the beach to walk the dog, and I suddenly mm. feel good about myself, what you just described there, leaving the high court to yeah. go to Thai Happy, is, is that, but it's still oh, your job, but I imagine it's pretty easy to have your your head nicely cleared when you're oh, standing in a, in a field watching dogs.
1: Absolutely, <laughs> head cleared, but also reset, you know, it's yeah, so what's important, yeah. and I, I treasure every trip I make around New Zealand, because it... it gives me a different reference. It makes me realise what people are actually talking about outside of Wellington or on the various media that I'm listening to or watching or reading. Um, It's a different world in different parts of the country and that's really good and healthy, I think. Uh, And so, yeah. Well, if you
0: only went to court and covered these stories, (laughs) even even if it takes you months and you write eloquently over several pages you're basically back at the Marlborough Express being a court reporter in a, in a, in a long form inverted yeah. commas way, aren't yeah. you? Like, you yeah, yeah,
1: and that's probably not entirely healthy and I take mm. my hat off to those people that can do it and, and do do it. Um, but yeah, I mean, just some of my favourite stories are, are, are things that really, they're not. Gonna make national news at all? I, I like spending a... a couple of days with Graham Sydney. Oh yeah! For example, I, I mean, <laughs> what a what a. Uh absolute um, bonus that's been yeah. um, and you know that has led to, I went back a couple of years ago to do a story about the annual rugby match between St Bathens where <laughs> Graham Sydney lives and mm. Bex, the neighbouring village that for this the wooden cup, you know that's <laughs> gone on for decades, this battle between two neighbouring villages yeah. held at the St Bathens Domain first weekend in, in September on a paddock that they have to kind of clear and, and, and scrape the 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 hay off uh, before they can have the match you know it's a brilliant story on a lot of different levels it's colourful it's in a beautiful part of New Zealand but it's you know the essence of sport is the same whether it's the All Blacks or whether it's St Bathans versus Becks it's Passionate people trying to win and, and everything that goes with that—it's probably a whole lot more colourful than the All Blacks because the All Blacks will never swear to a reporter, you know. But uh, it's just—it was a brilliant story to be able to do, and hopefully it's a good read mm. uh, and poignant. You know, there's always poignancy in, in these stories. Um, it's not all just oh, you know, good blokes from out in the back blocks, or whatever and. Uh, yeah, there's always different angles to them, and if you've got the time, you you discover these things, and hopefully, you can write about them nicely. So, mm, yeah. mm.
0: so 2015 or so, you write the Scott Guy book. Th- you yeah, around about them? Th- th- thirteen, thirteen, I think. Yeah, yep. yeah, and so then you, the, the new book is at the end of last year, and you said earlier, you know, you don't like writing opinion pieces, in the Scott mm. Guy book, you know, you you're in there in the sense that you wrote it, you covered it, but you're you kind of sweep up after your steps as best Mm. you can Um, the new book is a completely different type of book and this is you writing about your life you call the book How to Walk a Dog it could have been called How I Walk My Dog Mm. but you do have other people and other dogs in there you're a dog fan but beyond that why did you write this book?
1: yeah so this is just an example of everything that I've Said to you during this interview, it's total crop because obviously all out the window. Yeah, I'm full of shit. Um, yeah, and I do look at that book, the the book How to Walk a Dog and think, God, you know, you are full of shit because you have just written a book about yourself and your dog. I don't know. I got a. I've had dogs all my life. Um, this was the first dog that I'd had uh, in an urban environment, living in the city, and. Uh, we got our dog 10 years ago his name's Cooper got him from the SBCA started going to a dog park just up the hill from Mm. where we're talking now Mm. um, uh, up above uh, Arrow Valley and and just down from Brooklyn and just was amazed by these incredible people that I'd meet every morning because I'd go at the same time and there's Mm. There's just as a function of people's (laughs) routines and daily lives Mm. you know there'd be the same people there all the time and I couldn't not be a journalist, and so I started making notes. And that sounds a bit creepy, doesn't it? Go home from the dog park and write notes about the what you talk but about. But that's what people. a writer does, whether it's a I creative writer myself. or a journalist. Yeah. That's what
0: happens. And yeah. at
1: the end of the the first year of owning Cooper, um, I wrote a story for North and South because I thought, oh, this is a good yarn. And then I keep taking notes about these wonderful people that you meet, their life story the anecdotes that go along with their dogs. and um, But but you what people might not realise is how close you get to these people. They become, the people at uh, the dog park, have become some of my best friends. Mm. Um, you're meeting them every day. You're meeting them a lot more often than you do other friends. And you take, you're standing there while your dogs romp around and, you know, <laughs> sniff bums, pee in the bushes. You're just talking about what's going on in your life and and things that are happening and so you get to know these people really closely Mm. and um, yeah, so that was another aspect that I thought wow, these people's stories are pretty amazing, a lot of them Um, and I wanted to be able to write about them dogs, the dog part, it was a vehicle I suppose I don't know, it's a... It was such an enjoyable book to write. So it was so far from writing about murder. Mm, mm. It was a, a really happy process. And um,
0: well, I read it thinking several things. I thought this is everything I like about good writing, and what we were talking about. You know, the same things you've said about Steve Brawny as I can say about you. You won't want to say them about yourself, but you're a writer who can is good enough at writing and interested enough in people in a variety of subjects that you can take your pen and put it to something. So I, I own a dog and I'm feeling new to being a dog owner and as you say I live very close to the dog park so I could visualise you know very viscerally, viscerally everything that was happening but I was struck by the quality of the writing, I wanted to read it no matter what. I, I loved it for that. But, yeah, it's just like a, like one of those great documentaries, whether it's about, you know, dog trials or whatever, and you didn't think you were into that subject. It, it could also pull you in because of that. Yeah. Yeah. I,
1: I, I mean... And because of the human stories involved, the variety of human stories. Absolutely. It's a book yeah. about dogs. It's a book about humans as yeah, well, yeah. Um, the dog's owners. And it's a book, I guess, about... Our relationship with dogs, yeah. Um, There's a lot of people that own dogs, a lot of people that love dogs, and so it's not like I'm saying anything that's unique or Mm -hmm. new. It's maybe just a slightly different perspective to it. Look, it was... But isn't Pondering the Universal one of the
0: great... Aspects and and hopes about being a writer, you know, not yeah. not so much, you know. Obviously, with a lot of the journalistic work that you've done, yes, you want to make your mark and come at it from from a different angle. But also, there's a component to writing that is like, I know I'm not saying anything new, but I want to get caught caught up in this subject and and if not offer my thoughts on it, just observe and report on it. And
1: yeah. that's completely I, I, valid I mean, as I, well. I, I'd never think that I was smart enough, i oh, was certainly not smart enough to write about the universal, I'm happy writing about dogs because I sort of think that over the years I've learned a bit about dogs mm. and learned about the dogs that I've had for sure um, I, look it was just a blank canvas I could write what I wanted, how I wanted no one was telling me any different and essentially I, uh, what I wrote is what people will read. It's had very little editing. It was an absolute luxury to be able to write exactly Mm. a style and about a subject that you wanted. I get that most of the time with North and South, although there being a bit of, you know, journalism is different. There are certain restraints. This was just total freedom to write about something that i loved and about people that i really have grown to love um and it, it was just yeah it was probably the nicest book i'll ever write um it, insofar as the process mm, and, mm. And, and no and that comes joy it ac- gave. that absolutely comes across mm. it? Like, He's he's a pretty good
0: podcast dog he mm. Tend to just, as I say, it just tends to. Pass. Often he'll. I'm surprised he hasn't gone. And he's going to now. I'm surprised he hadn't gone and sat with you because he'll often. I'll get the odd, podcast guest that really doesn't give a fuck about a dog, and some of them he <laughs> wins over, and some of them he doesn't. You know, and he kind of gives up and just yeah, goes, "Oh yeah, well I'll come over here by dad," you know, like. Yeah. <laughs> a bit
1: yeah. of that yeah or follow the sun <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, yeah 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 oh, yeah so so it's interesting to me that you you know you so you'd said all, you know you'd <laughs> not to go back on not to suggest you'd gone back on what you said but you said all the stuff about not writing opinion stuff and then you've just pointed out you have sort of done that with the dog book i'm wondering if that means that the the, the third book that you're going to write is actually you know you've you've kept all your interviews not so much a memoir, but a professional memoir, is that something that you would look at doing? Because these are big subjects you've tackled and you've got the notes. And you could do it in such a way as to bring yourself into it as you have in this conversation.
1: Yeah, to be honest, I don't think so. Uh, It's not something I've ever thought about. But my initial reaction, nah. Yeah. You know, and this is not any kind of faux modesty or time, there are shitloads of better journalists than me out there, real great journalists who have done incredible stuff in New Zealand, um, who I'm in awe of, and I, I kind of don't really, the war stories, if you want to call them that, that I might have, I, you know, I, I, I just don't think they're that Incredible, and I don't think people want to read about what I think. I don't think people (laughs) want to read about the journalists behind them. They just want to know about the story and about the events and about you know the the facts of a case, and they want to read that in a way that is really well written. Mm. Um, hopefully, is is beautifully written in, in some respects. I just. Nah, no, See, th- there, isn't, there isn't going to be a book about that.
0: What I think you're doing here too, and you might not mean to, but I think you're answering why there hasn't been, correct me if I'm wrong, but why there hasn't been a really, really great professional memoir from a New Zealand journalist, despite the fact that there are lots of great writers and journalists in this country. You know, there are books that come out, you know, and I've read a few of them, and I used to collect them up, and I was interested in them, but. We pull our punches when it comes to that, don't we?
1: Yeah, I'm just trying to think.
0: You know, can I mean, you can you can you think of something that's you know, like I would want to read Paula Penfold's book, but
1: I would want to read Donna Chisholm's. Yeah, totally. You know, but you try and, I'm and convince and I'm, Donna to write absolutely. a book about that, and she'll just laugh at you, scoff, and, and turn around and walk away.
0: Yeah, and one day, I mean, I, I, I'm I consider him a friend anyway, but one day I'd want to read Patty Gower's book, but I'd, yeah, I and mean, he might do
1: one. I think might one, you know, TV people, you yeah. might get more of a chance. But I'm just trying to think.
0: But even then, they, you know, I mean, when I'm not, I'm not holding them up as a as a, a Bastion, I mean, but when John Hawkesby wrote a book, it was light fluff, you know. When yeah. Paul Holmes, you know, uh, these yeah.
1: books. What about John Campbell? Would he, you know, he? There must be. A well, book. there'd be a still. great
0: book in him, but wouldn't it be like? I feel, I feel like... I mean, I think that's why people got very excited by... I'm not saying this is the only reason, but I think that's why people got very excited by Shane Carter's book. Yeah. It was well written. Yeah. Um, Amazing. It, it's an interesting story. Um, but also, he goes to town on a few people and himself. You know, he doesn't hold back in that sense. Like, he really actually talks about you know i I think he actually might have overpainted how much of an asshole he is if anything i think he might have tried a little bit hard to um to to make out that he's a bit of a prickly pear i i know from dealing with him personally that he can be sure but i've also had good dealings with him um but but it was a great book and i think there are you know there are only X amount of New Zealand musicians that have enough of a story to tell in a book form and then an ability to do it, but they tend to end up being a bit light and cheery, a bit fluffy. They don't want to.
1: Shane's book wasn't like that, it wasn't light and fluffy. No, it was no. an incredibly written book. And, yeah. And yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, it was pretty blunt about himself and other people. Yeah, like say that possibly that's. Of, of what's so great about it but the writing mm. for me was just incredible oh, my in fav- I was just going to say book. the
0: first half of the book yeah. is actually my favourite the, the and it was a depiction of uh, New Zealand that was just a little bit out of my reach too into, like I, I smelt it and felt it mm. but it, it, it wasn't quite the New Zealand just age wise it wasn't quite the New Zealand I grew up in and so that's what I loved about it like it was yeah. just a tiny bit beyond my reach
1: and, and, and yeah uh, he I'm the same age as as Shane, mm. but my upbringing was pretty different mm. um, from Brockville. But I just remember reading some of those early chapters and thinking, fuck, you know, that line, that mm-hmm. sentence, that paragraph, shit, I wish I could have written that. Yeah. And, and then thinking, oh shit, <laughs> I've spent all my life, you know, professionally, as a writer mm. uh, Shane's supposedly just a musician well he's obviously not just yeah, a musician yeah. but wow you know I thought it was incredible I'm really glad to see it's on the Occam shortlist yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and and you know all power to Shane for, for putting himself out there like that uh, but yeah look it's a really interesting point you make because I'm all this time that we've been talking about Shane and stuff I've been trying to think of journalists who've written memoirs I think Ages ago, Cameron Bennett yes. wrote one. The foreign you know? Correspondence, yeah, book. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a different age. Yeah. kind of. I mean, I liked that book, yeah.
0: but it was um, wasn't that it was safe, but it wasn't it wasn't a, a daring piece of writing at the same
1: time. And you it kind was of think clinical. All the journalists, you know, there are some amazing behind mm. the scenes stories. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that must be out there. But is the reason we haven't written them because we're all just too cynical, or we? Can't be asked, or because journalists just don't like to, you know, put themselves out there in the spotlight, and and.
0: I think it's yeah. partly that, but I think it's also that.
1: Uh,
0: you know, shitting on people definitively in print yeah. isn't isn't really the Kiwi way, in a book. And um, people, you know, feel they have to pull their punches a bit, I think. Maybe there's a bit of yeah. that. And, you know, and, and, you know, when you want to see how the sausage gets made, um, that's that's part of the appeal of those sorts of books. And maybe people don't... is isn't so much that they don't want to give that up, but they're worried that if they do give that up, I don't know, maybe it isn't quite they'll never work again, but some version of that.
1: Well, <laughs> Probably as far as not working again in journalism, there's probably great, that greater worries. We've got to that, face, yeah, yeah, you know,
0: absolutely. <laughs> r-
1: the reality of the media nowadays. But um, you know, I'm just thinking, there's a bunch of journalists that I'd love to mm. read their memoirs. Mm. Uh, and I, you know, I've read books from uh, journalists overseas, yeah, yeah. which I've just lapped up and thought, yeah. wow, it's you know, fabulous. Um, yeah, people like Martin Van Bain, and he's got yes. a lifetime of kind of yeah. war stories and Tony Wall and, and you know, there's there, there are great books to be written out there, but yeah, I'm not going to be one to write uh, mine, <laughs> that's for sure, because, yeah, uh, I, but I hope other people do, because, I, you know, this is the same thing, that journalists, everyone hates journalists, like, we're an easy whipping boy, yeah, yeah. and that's cool. But kind of everyone uses this and, and needs us to an extent. I'm not going to get philosophical about the role of journalism, but, you know, um, how many journalists get New Year's or Queen's Honours, you know,
0: mm.
1: Mm. bugger all, uh, compared to, I don't know, public servants and military people and judges and mm. people just doing their job. Uh, so, yeah. Journalists they do some good stuff. Some I, really good stuff. Yeah,
0: yeah, I think so. And what are you? You know how are you feeling uh, with regard to the worlds of documentary and podcast and those sorts of associated things? Not so much for you to step into, but are you a? I mean, I get that you're a writer through and through, and I think you you value your space your physical space mm. to sit in and work at as a way of processing things but are you an avid consumer of these things do you think they're a, uh, an interesting way of you know in mean the wave of crime podcasts would take anyone a lifetime to even try and index now
1: yeah and look i feel possibly like other people i feel completely swamped mm. you know podcasts came along and and yeah Listen to serial like everyone did, and uh, I I just find there's so many around that I yeah you know, I, I listen to some, but not I'm not an avid uh, listener. Um, I'm a big reader of long form journalism still, um, but uh, yeah, I did try and dip my toe into podcasts. Um, in the most cynical way is applying for public money, taxpayer money, to help make a podcast about a story that I thought was a fantastic story. Um, Got knocked back a couple of times. uh, Not too worried about that, because I know how much time podcasts take. Honestly, they will suck you up for six months to make a really good series, podcast series. So I've kind of cut my... Well, not cut my losses there because <laughs> I didn't incur any costs. But uh, I just think, yep, go for it. Other people will make fantastic podcasts and docos. Um, but I'll just keep writing because I really like writing. I'm, I've am i been in front of a TV camera once or twice and I'm just shocking. I'm just shit material, you know, <laughs> when it comes to being uh, on, on telly. So... I'm really happy just living down in our little place by the sea and with a dog beside me writing.
0: Um, well, it's but it's good to know that to know that about yourself, isn't it? Because there are people. I think I would think increasingly. There's the if not the urge, there's the requirement for people working in journalism to suddenly become broadcasters. Yeah. And uh, and to become social media practitioners and. Pundits, And that's not everyone's ability. That's not to everyone's strength to be doing that. Apart, only... apart from the whole kind of flooding the market and everything seeming and sounding the same, some you've got to know your medium.
1: Yeah, and not everyone's good at everything. Yeah, that's you know? what I mean.
0: You've got to know some people uh, have a good voice for radio and some people don't, but they have enough information that they can get through. Yep. And, you know, what... Uh, Obviously, the, the goal is both. You know, great radio talent is someone who sounds good
1: and, and is smart, <laughs> you know, but. I mean, I think we ask a lot of journalists nowadays mm. too much often, and it stretches them too far. And so, what we gain in breadth, we lose in depth. And, and I just worry about the whole business and, and profession of journalism uh, that people coming in now. They're just expected to be, you know, gurus at everything and do so many different things. you know, it's the jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none situation, perhaps. Mm. Um, I'm lucky in that I am allowed to just write. I also take photographs, given that I've spent a lot of time in the past working in in that area. Um, So those are my two strands, because everyone's got to have more than one strand nowadays, Mm. don't Mm. they? So... That's perhaps what gets me off the hook. But as far as telly and, and docos, there's some great people, smart people, that are able to do those things way, way better than I could ever do, so I'm really happy to let them do that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, well, we've had a great chat. Is there anything um, you wish I brought up that I hadn't? Is there anything you want to mention? or?
1: No. Um, I, I, I think, you know... Um, I've just had a really lucky ride, Simon. In so far as I've been able to do something um, that I'm passionate about, I still, I'm still passionate about journalism. I don't care what people say. I don't care how cynical people are about the industry. I, I promise you that I wouldn't get philosophical about journalism. But just you know, I still really believe in good journalism. And sometimes we were we are our own worst enemies but Mm -hmm. man there's some good journalism some fantastic journalists about doing great work every day and i just um hope that that continues i hope that we don't get swallowed completely by an economic model that's failing and that people get so dispirited about it that they all run off to do pr Mm. you know god i'd be the world's shittiest pr person (laughs) I, and uh, and not that there haven't been opportunities to go over, but I just well, I, couldn't. I think do we it.
0: can safely say you'd be the world's second worst, shittiest PR after worst.
1: you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, I'll fight you hard for that one because I'd be so crap. But at least
0: you've got a contact book of people that talk to you. Yeah,
1: but <laughs> you know, I don't I even do I it.
0: don't even have that.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, but yeah, being allowed to do what it doing for so long yeah. it's just been incredible one day some bean counter from head office is going to come down and say mike guess what mm. you know you don't make enough money for us so see ya and look when that happens i hope i'm big enough uh, to think well i've had an awesome awesome ride thus far yeah
0: yeah well thanks heaps this has been really cool thank you well, i wonder where you are tonight you're probably on the rampage somewhere. You have been known to take delight in getting in somebody's hand you You always had the knack uh, Fade to blend.